0: I'm Fathery. This is Dave. This is Brian. And this is Text Trek. Engage. Welcome back aboard the Starship, Texas, for the 81st installment of the Text Trek podcast, the home of Star Trek fandom from deep in the heart of Texas, where we talk all about Star Trek, old and new. And tonight we are talking
1: about Star Trek. Just simply titled Star Trek. And it's like the old made new. It's uh, it's all, all of our themes together in one. <clears throat> Indeed. It's kind of like the <laughs> nexus. as like the convergence point outside of time. Yeah. But within all time. When we leave this podcast, we could step out anywhere. But I'm personally going to step out to write before Soren launched the rocket. <laughs> 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 That's, that yeah. seems like just a cool time. Yeah. I'm just...
0: but, um, this movie also commonly referred to as Star Trek 09 or JJ Trek or... Kelvin Trek, or Star Trek 11, whatever you want to call it. Or the movie where they fucked it all up. (laughs) Or the movie where they rejuvenated it for a a new generation. Absolutely. Um, Or a movie that did a little bit of both. Yeah. Uh, But just for our purposes, we'll refer to it as Star Trek 09. I think that is the most common moniker that this movie receives. I might call it Kelvin Trek. I don't know. (laughs) Uh, Well, that applies to... Three movies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I
2: usually prefer eleven, just because I want people to realize it counts.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, I like that's that true. as a little yeah. tweak to the to the canon fighters. Just like I went around right
2: referring to ghost the the most recent Ghostbusters is Ghostbusters three. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I uh, appreciate your trolling,
0: <laughs> but uh, this movie, of course, written by Roberto Ors- or Alex Kurtzman and R- Roberto Orsi. I think that's the order that their names appear in the credits. Um, you know, I'll take your word. They, they make a big deal out of that in their writer's union and stuff. I forgot and, about but, that, yeah. And directed by the one and only J.J. J. Abrams. Right.
1: You yeah. might remember him from such movies as Star Wars, uh, Force Awakens, but before that, uh, he was like a TV guy, primarily. Um, he had done Mission Impossible and Cloverfield,
0: which right. uh, was the big things I knew him from. And the
2: amazing but, Super 8.
0: Uh, yeah, Super 8, which um, I had some issues with, but... I guess Brian you know what, really Super liked it.
1: Eight, you know, it that. occurs to me that Super 8 was like very much a sort of little proto uh, Stranger, Stranger Things. Oh, absolutely. So, I don't yeah. think Stranger
2: Things would exist well, without Super that 8.
1: Was, Stranger Things was after this, though. Just just mm-hmm. to... Um, and in TV land, he had done uh, Alias, kicked off Lost. Felicity.
0: Felicity. But uh, yeah, this movie came out 10 years ago. Hard to believe it's already been 10 years. So yeah. we're talking about it on the 10th anniversary. And, and 2019 has been the anniversary for several of these movies. I haven't hmm. been bringing it up like I intended to, and I always end up forgetting about it. But... This is the 40th anniversary for the motion picture, 35 for Search for Spock, 30 for The Final Frontier, 25 for Generations, and Hmm. 10 for 09. Yeah, that's interesting. So this is a big anniversary year. I guess there's a lot of Star Trek uh, stories floating around out there. (laughs) But um, yeah, that happens when you have 13 movies, I guess. Uh, And I just want to... Marvel Universe laughs at it. I just, I just want to go back in time through a, a red matter wormhole to 2009 and, and remind everyone what was going on back then. Okay. Um, you know, we hadn't had any Star Trek for four years. Uh, Since the end of Enterprise. Yes. Um, which was a sad time for me. I was a baby when Next Generation started mm. in the 80s. And then I had Star Trek uh, regularly all my life until we got to Enterprise, Which had an amazing fourth season that I love, and then ended on a terrible episode, and it was such a sad, tragic note to cancel the show on, and then nothing for four years until this.
1: Yeah, it kind of felt like Trek might have died, and, uh, like what Battlestar Galactica had been kind of come along in that time, right? Yes, and also uh, Doctor Who made its big return. So Doctor Who felt like it was almost carrying the weight of the sort of hopeful future,
2: sort of, even though it's a little bit more space fantasy somewhat, Um, um... I had to confess being I was so happy Doctor Who came back I hardly noticed Star Trek it went down disappeared <laughs> or like, show oh, oh whatever. <laughs> <laughs> not not me though. This this no, was no. Uh, I get I it was expected, a big deal for people. But, I
1: expected that Galactica was gonna be like the through line for a while where like darker sci-fi was gonna kinda take over. Well, this time period is kind of a low point for me. I was having my Trek withdrawals and
0: in uh, 2007 at Comic Con they had a, a, a big event where they announced that Leonard Nimoy was going to be Spock in this movie directed by J.J. Abrams but also this guy Zachary Quinto from the show Heroes was going to be Spock mm-hmm. and I was just thinking oh my god what is going on here <laughs> I, I was very nervous about J.J. Abrams because I, I hadn't really watched too much of his stuff but two of my other big loves besides Star Trek are superman and transformers Mm -hmm. and jj had just a few years earlier than this had talked to warner brothers about doing a superman movie which which sounded terrible to me like the the story of that movie leaked i think you can read the entire script now but it, it it sounded like a terrible adaptation of my favorite fictional character also he was using the writers of the michael bay transformer movies So, you know, one of my other big loves, Transformers,
1: had just been utterly... It had been plodded. peed on the same Um, way Bumblebee peed on uh, (laughs) that scientist guy, or whoever he was. Uh, Agent Simmons. Yeah, Agent.
0: Um, Yeah, it was Pete from uh, uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Yep. Um, He was
1: one of the regular players for the Coen brothers.
0: And went on to get peed on by a a CGI robot. God damn it. (laughs) Uh, So so I was extremely nervous, but I did have a little bit of faith going in because Nimoy signed on, and Nimoy was a guy who... Turned down Generations, because he didn't like that script. So I was thinking, like, well, maybe it'll be better than Generations, I guess, uh,
1: if I trust Nimoy's judgment. Um, now, you know what? I remember, um, I-, I didn't know any of the sort of, like, prelude stuff. I-, I probably saw, like, occasional stories on the internet about it. But what I remember is the first teaser trailer that I think kind of used, what, some audio clips from... Uh, like, Yeah, Kennedy. And maybe, mm-hmm. I don't know if there was, like, moon landing stuff in yeah. there. Uh, and I think and, it did, like, a pan over of what like of, what looked like the people, saucer section. People
0: welding the Enterprise. Yeah. yeah.
1: And I remember getting extremely excited, like, when that happened. Like, having a sort of emotional experience in the theater, yeah. getting chills when that happened. Absolutely. Yeah. Because I didn't really believe it up until then.
0: And, and that, that teaser trailer came out with the movie Cloverfield. Yep. And then a little bit later, the, the Bond movie Quantum of Solace. That's when we got, like, our, our first uh, true trailer, which had that uh, really, at the time, seemed really weird sequence of Kid Kirk... Jack in a car and driving it off of a canyon. Right. And the the trailer got me so excited because I was like, man, this movie looks like it's going to be so energetic and just really, this could be the one to really rejuvenate the franchise. But I was also nervous because it looked like such a departure. And back back in these days, my approach to like movies and development was a little bit different. Whereas Mm -hmm. now I'm like one of the most spoiler phobic people. Mm -hmm. I don't even I don't even like watching trailers for movies after I decide I'm going to see them. But back then I would I would look at all the official stuff. And by reading like interviews with the writers and with Abrams, by like looking at any clips or trailers they released uh, it, it did kind of help prepare me for the things in this movie that would ultimately bother me, and I think knowing that stuff going into it actually helped. They were smart enough to keep the big story surprises secret, and so I, I knew there was going to be stuff in here that I didn't like. There were already, they were already talking about, like, J.J. is more of a Star Wars kid than a Star Trek kid. They were right. saying this is going to be more actiony. They were saying, like, this isn't your daddy's Star Trek. <laughs> so I, I, I think I was prepared at just the right amount to go in here and have a good time when I, I finally did see the movie it was super um exciting and and i only regret that i missed out on the true world premiere of this movie Mm -hmm. and i'm just gonna tell that story real quickly and then let y'all weigh in on, on your initial reaction to this movie but a lot of people don't remember this but this movie was actually shown to the public here in austin texas before anywhere else there was a, a screening at the Alamo Draft House on South Lamar. Is it
2: for Star Trek
1: Two? For yep. Star Trek Two,
2: yep. The Wrath of Khan. Yeah. I was in Fairbanks, Alaska, and I heard about this screening because I was getting ready to move to Austin at the time. <laughs> uh,
0: and they said that they were gonna show ten minutes of footage from this movie. And I thought about going to that, but I was like, Oh, it's in South Austin. I I live north of Austin, out in the country. It's gonna take me like an hour and a half at least to drive there and drive back i don't want to do that and they showed the movie or started to show the, the rathacon and the film broke down in the uh i guess in the kobayashi maru sequence at the beginning of that movie and leonard nimoy surprised everyone by standing up in the middle of the theater in the audience and said well instead of showing us 10 minutes of the new movie just show us the whole thing <laughs> and they played the entire movie uh, just right before the actual world premiere took place in Australia. Uh-huh. Yes, and um, so I'm so sad that I missed out on that, and I also never got to see Nimoy before he passed away. Yeah, so that had to have been like a crazy energetic
1: experience. Yes,
0: yes. instead, like I ended up seeing the movie on the actual premiere night at the Bob Bullock IMAX Museum, and I was I was still like a little nervous going into it, but I walked out of that theater. Stuff in it I didn't like, but overall I was both relieved and excited for the future of the franchise. and It was a very positive experience. I had friends who never gave a shit about Star Trek before who were watching this movie, enjoying it, and I actually got a lot of people into watching Prime Trek, all the old shows, because of this movie. So, I, and I'm I'm so thankful for this movie being as successful as it was because we wouldn't be in the, the, the what I'm calling the new golden age of Star Trek now if not for this movie. Even though there's some stuff I have issues with. But, but what, what, the two of you, um,
2: what, what were your initial reactions to this? Uh, Brian? Um, I was very excited. Uh, I loved the trailer with the, 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 the Kennedy quote and the welding. Mm-hmm. That was exactly what I wanted out of a Star Trek movie. That's not what we got, but that's what I wanted. <laughs> right. And so I was very pumped when I saw that trailer. I had been running Star Trek role-playing games pretty much every week. For nine years at that point. Right. Um, and in fact, was trying to wrap up my game before I moved. And so it was just nonstop Star Trek the whole time for me. But seeing it on the screen, seeing other people talk about Star Trek, it was empowering. It was exciting. I was very pumped. I liked the second trailer. I went to the movie theater excited, a little nervous, because mm-hmm. I'm a judgmental guy who likes to <laughs> nitpick. So I knew I would, if there were flaws, I would see them. So, um, and I loved it. It was fun. I, I didn't, I... I, I didn't necessarily love every aspect of I had questions, I guess. That's a better <laughs> thing. I had questions. Yeah. It was a better way to describe they, uh, it. They, their approach to continuity and plot was sometimes a little loosey-goosey. Yeah, I was like, how did that work and how did that work? It wasn't so much that I was upset. I was just, I wanted to know more and there didn't seem to be more right. coming. But I loved the movie overall. It was great. I saw it like two or three times in the theater. And it uh, it was it was uh, it was great, yeah. Uh, I had a journey to follow with this movie.
1: Uh, father, you've seen me do this with some things where I approached something the first time. I didn't like it. I, um, I actually, I wasn't quite that harsh. Like I had good times and I like, like parts of it. But I remember at some point, I think while I was watching it that first time thinking, okay, well, Trek is dead. Uh, so, um, yeah, uh, because I was like, I, I felt like the ethos wasn't there—that spirit of searching. I, I was kind of forgetting that the but movies had always been more action-oriented. I'm not saying that it was a fair judgment necessarily, you, but it is kind of how I felt. You were also more like a Tos only
0: type of guy going into this. You, you were someone who was very judgmental of Next Generation and the sure. other shows, and and you yeah. you've loosened up on all that yeah. stuff.
1: The interesting in effect the last it decade. had on me was that the immediate effect was. Uh, well, there's actually two sort of things. One, I was actually kind of fascinated to see how just people became super charged about Trek, even people who didn't like Trek. In fact, a lot of people who weren't Trek fans before liked it better than Trek fans in some cases. And I was fascinated by that and happy about that happening. It did make me go back and start to rewatch Next Generation and Voyager and some other of those, some of those other shows, and it gave me renewed appreciation for them. Uh, so that was, that was the first interesting effect where I was like, oh, I... Um, I, I, I kind of judge those shows harshly <laughs> those are much more in line with what I wanted it turns
2: out yeah yeah there, there is that I was having a discussion with somebody about how Discovery is more well accepted because the JJ films were so not Trek <laughs> right so Discovery was embraced more thoroughly by fandom because they were not they were closer so, to that right and so okay. you might like TNG and DS9 more because <laughs> the, yeah the, the, the it was move. a weird journey and then now I've, I've brought it
1: full circle and uh, in the last few years I've, I've, I found myself occasionally, for reasons I couldn't quite explain, revisiting these movies, and I think part of it was uh, all three of them was like the sort of the flash and, and like just the raw, and you know, special effects power and an energetic crew. I could never deny that they had great chemistry as a crew, mm-hmm. and and I would go back and I would rewatch them, and I'd be like, why did I? Why, how is it that I've rewatched them all like in the same year, and like one or two of them twice? And then I was like. Maybe I kind of like him now. <laughs> and so we'll get into it more, I mean, but I have I have come around on this movie in many ways. And, and to me,
0: all three of these movies are popcorn Trek. Mm-hmm. And that's not a bad thing. I like my popcorn. Um, I know what I'm going to get with these movies. I, I don't watch them for the same
1: reasons I would watch Duet or The Inner Light. <laughs> right. So, you know, some of those
0: episodes.
1: And, and, uh, but, and, and is it, like I was saying, like the Trek movies, after, I don't know, the motion picture... Had almost already mostly settled into some stripe of action movies. They had a little more thematic resonance than I think Abrams and, and his successors would try for. Um, I felt they were a little bit more ambitious, but uh, they were still action movies. And so he kind of gave us like the most refined version of a modern action movie. They were kind of mm-hmm. had, they were kind of long in the tooth action movies by the end of them. And he kind of brought in a modern sensibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, like in a huge way, and
0: also this movie does kind of circle back to
1: the original series in some ways, yeah. and it
0: has uh, in a strange way kind of some more TOS-y vibes to things than the movies, as far as yeah. uh, the, the color and the just being more more melodramatic, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and and flashier. But uh, that's kind of something that the TOS guys were going for back in the 60s. So. Yeah,
2: it definitely feels more like the TOS series than any of the other films. Mm-hmm. I mean, Five, maybe... Five kind of feels like a Season 3 episode. But beyond <laughs> that, I, I, I this feels like perhaps good, a lot like some sort of amped up, you know, speed-induced version of old 60s <laughs> Star Trek yeah. with, with, of course amazing production values. I do sometimes feel it's really a Star Wars movie in Star Trek clothing, but it's I, I, undeniably a fun movie that you can't help but love and watch and it's well executed Dave for what of it's uh, trying to be. Dave of 10 years ago absolutely agrees with that. Yeah, yeah.
1: And Dave of uh, 2019 somewhat agrees with it, yeah, yeah. but has a soft spot now. Yeah. Um, Father, do we want to hit the summary? Sure. So just in case you haven't seen this movie in a while,
0: I will refresh all of you by going through... Our, um, what speed do we do? The transwarp for the movies? Yeah, Yeah. this is the the transwarp speed summary. Yeah, uh,
1: Mr. Scott's going to beam it transwarp, uh, (laughs) beam it through warp directly to us.
0: Transwarp doesn't mean what we thought it meant anymore (laughs) in this movie. Because
1: this movie makes weird
0: choices like that that I'm sure we will nitpick as we go along. Father, If you will, uh, punch it. We open things up with the Federation starship, USS Kelvin, investigating an anomaly in deep space. It looks like a lightning storm in space. But the investigation turns deadly when a massive, and I mean massive, mean-looking Romulan ship rolls up out of the storm. The ship is the Narada, and she's commanded by an insane, angry Romulan named Nero, who kills the Kelvin's captain and starts blowing up the ship. Lieutenant George Kirk takes command and single-handedly pilots the Kelvin, shooting down attacking torpedoes so that the rest of the ship can evacuate via shuttlecraft. One of the evacuees is George Kirk's pregnant wife, who goes into labor. James T. Kirk, the legend, is born in the middle of the battle. George misses the birth of his son, but gets the news he is born over the comm system. He tells Mrs. Kirk to name him Jim and that he loves her, before heroically crashing into the Narada, halting the behemoth ship long enough for the shuttles to make their escape. Kid Kirk grows up back on Earth in Iowa, where he is a grand theft auto-committing brat. (laughs) He hangs out in rural Iowa, not doing much with his life, until he meets Starfleet officer Captain Pike one night after a drunken bar fight. Pike talks to Kirk about his father's sacrifice and encourages him to do something more with his life and join Starfleet. Kirk goes off to Starfleet Academy, where he hangs out with his new friend, Dr. McCoy, tries to get into Yuhura's pants, and bangs an Orion classmate, as well as cheats on the infamous Kobayashi Maru test, the supposedly unbeatable Starfleet Command Simulator. Just like the Kirk we know from Star Trek II, this younger version also doesn't believe in the no-win scenario. And cheating on this test really pisses off the guy who programmed it to be unwinnable, Commander Spock. Spock and Kirk's first meeting is interrupted because, oh no, Planet Vulcan is under attack. The cadets scramble to ships. Kirk, Spock, McCoy, and Uhura all end up on the Enterprise with Captain Pike, Sulu, and Chekhov. They take off at warp to Planet Vulcan, where there is a lightning storm in space, Kirk remembers this is the same type of scary, weird space thing that showed up when his father was killed on the Kelvin on the day of his birth. He warns the bridge crew, right before they arrive at Vulcan, where the rest of the rescue fleet has been destroyed by the Narada. Pike goes over to the Narada to negotiate with Nero, and leaves Spock in command with Kirk as the first officer. The Narada drills a hole into planet Vulcan, and drops a weapon into the planet's core that creates a black hole. Spock a resident of the planet, beams down to rescue his folks, Sarek and Amanda. Unfortunately, his mother Amanda doesn't make the transport back to the ship and dies when the planet collapses in on itself. Planet Vulcan is destroyed. Kirk tells Spock the right course of reaction is to hunt Nero down. Spock wants to follow orders, though, and regroup with other Starfleet ships before taking any aggressive actions against Nero. Nero. The two get in a spat that ends with Spock marooning Kirk on the nearby ice planet Delta Vega. On this planet, Kirk has a surprise meeting with an older version of Spock. The Nimoy Spock, who we all know and love. This Spock explains that he and the Narada are from the future. He says that Romulus, Nero's homeworld, was destroyed by a supernova. Spock was able to stop the Nova by using red matter, some dumb contrived sci-fi red shit that creates black holes, Spock wasn't fast enough to save Romulus, though, and Nero has it out for him. But the black hole created by the red matter pulled in both the Narada and Spock's ship, sending them back in time. This created an alternate timeline starting with the arrival of the Narada, that is different from the Prime timeline. Prime Spock says Nero needs to be stopped, and the way to do that is to get Kirk on the Enterprise and in the Captain's chair. He tells young Kirk... That the version of himself currently in command of the Enterprise is emotionally compromised after the destruction of planet Vulcan, and Kirk should use that to get command of the ship. Luckily, a certain Starfleet engineer named Montgomery Scott, aka Scotty, is also on Delta Vega, and he is able to beam himself as well as Kirk back to the Enterprise. Kirk easily pisses off Spock, getting him to show to everyone how unstable and compromised he currently is, and... As the new acting captain of the Enterprise orders the ship to go after the Narada, which is now preparing to destroy planet Earth, Kirk and Spock learn to work together when they beam over to the Narada, rescue Pike, and ignite the red matter. Scotty beams them back to the Enterprise, and the red matter begins to form a black hole. Kirk offers to save Nero and the crew of the now crippled Narada before they are destroyed by the black hole. But Nero is a stubborn asshole and turns down the act of compassion like a real dick. So Kirk tells Sulu to blow up those punk-ass Romulans and their ridiculously big ship. And with the Narada destroyed, the Enterprise just barely escapes the black hole. The crew return to Starfleet back on Earth. Young Commander Spock meets Spock Prime. Pike is an admiral now. And Tyler Perry hosts a big ceremony where he promotes Kirk from cadet to captain and gives him command of the Enterprise. With Spock as his first officer, with the familiar Enterprise crew now assembled on the iconic ship, they take off at warp to explore new worlds and new civilizations, and boldly go where no one has gone before. The end.
1: Surely, no man at this point. They say mm-hmm. no one. Oh, they do. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, got that. Uh, I think that was a that was a good retrofit.
0: They, they, it was they keep, time they keep it woke.
1: Uh,
0: yep. But when they did Enterprise. They went back to No Man. I did. Okay. For well, the, the... continuity purposes, I guess. Yes. Yes. I, I
2: agree with the No One thing. Yeah. I, I'm but... fine with it in the Kelvin verse. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so you said contrived for the red matter, really?
1: I mean, it is super contrived. I mean, in the same, are you about to bring up proto matter?
2: Well, no. I'm just going to say, yeah. (laughs) It it, it, contrived implies that it it, it does a bunch of stuff that it shouldn't. But they they have a gimmick that creates black holes. Black holes have been associated with time travel since what the 1950s or 60s. Um,
0: It's pretty convenient in all the things that it can do. It's it's both the time travel device and the weapon of mass
1: destruction and. I'm, Black holes but, and
2: time travel have always been like this in pop sci-fi. So. I think
1: because I knew that um, Abrams had a thing for weird red spheres, it showed up mm-hmm. in Alias, and I believe in some way in Lost, and he just kind of used them for whatever he needed to have happen. Uh, I think that's part of why it bugged me, but I think I was more bothered by the notion that a single supernova threatened the fate of the whole galaxy in the future, which is real dodgy. that's contrived (laughs) I'll give you that, that's contrived yes, and
0: I I don't mind the red matter as much as Dave does, but I I knew that he hates it, so Uh, I I
1: threw that in there for him, I appreciate it even now though, like it's not it is not a dagger in my heart as I watch it but Um, but yeah, like the idea of a Nova that's going to threaten the entire
0: galaxy, kind of needs a bit more explaining, and that's a lot of stuff in this movie like Nero's giant ship or uh, uh, there's a few other things here and there that I, I kind of wish they had taken the time to explain um there's always the comic
1: book Star Trek countdown yeah. the the kind of the
0: prequel yeah. to this
1: but you mean, that was a weirdly big seller at my comic <laughs> shop that I manage uh, uh, when well, it came out which was another yeah. sign to me I was like people are interested in Star Trek stuff what is even happening <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, I don't actually read comics hardly at all and I bought that one but... yeah. Um, it is kind of required reading for this
0: movie, which I think is kind of the fault of the movie. Yes. You shouldn't need to do homework for movies. The yeah. biggest
1: thing it explains, aside from being a big last hurrah for Picard's crew, really, uh, is it explains... Well, well, until now. Uh, right. <laughs> uh, it explains why the Narada is the size of a Star Destroyer for a mining yeah. ship. Why, and, and, like, so advanced.
0: Why Nero is so familiar with Kirk and Spock in the Enterprise.
2: See, m- that m- those bits I didn't need. There was stuff I, I loved how it explained Spock and Nero's relationship. That was essential yeah. reading, in my opinion.
1: As an aside, I think we should just say people should give it a sh- go, read that if they are any stripe of fan of this movie. Yes,
0: we don't we don't talk about comics a lot anymore on Text Trek because not that many people seem to be into it. But if anyone does want to hear us talk about Star Trek Countdown, I would kind of like to, but only if people tell me that they want us to. So if
2: if you have any interest in that, let me know, or else we're probably not going to do it. I am also in a podcast called the Psy Fidelity Podcast, and we did a commentary track to this movie, and one of the, mostly just hashing on it and ragging on it, but um, it, it was great fun, and one of the things we noticed is there is something in almost every scene that doesn't quite make sense or needs a little more explanation in every scene of this movie. That became our running gag throughout our commentary track. Was could we find a scene where we couldn't find something that didn't make seem a little off or weird? Mm-hmm. JJ uh, kind of as a filmmaker, uh, he kind of
1: rides on emotion and raw visuals. Yes, yes. Um, he's uh, and he's I think actually very talented at it. Yes, um, but but he like he, he it's kind of like you got to squint sometimes. Can I quick say something right, right before you even get into the movie itself? Is I want to mention the, the music, which starts before the movie does. And uh, Michael Giacchino, the the composer who worked with him on Alias and uh, and Lost before, uh, I think has a, like is, is owed a big uh, debt for this movie because because it does rely so much on sort of visuals, almost in the way like a silent movie does at times, the visuals and, and on, on an operatic level when the music swells and stuff. Uh, I think he he created a great new theme, but at the very least, it's kind of an interesting lead-in. Um, it does suggest that there is something serious that's going to come. And then they do this kind of cool, almost artsy sort of thing, where the camera is like panning around the Kelvin, and like in a way where you only see glimpses of the lights or just, like brief detail of the of the saucer section, and you hear the familiar Trek sounds of like the, the bridge and all that. Yeah, yeah. The, it's, it's an reports. interesting kind of artsy lead into it. It's, Which, it's almost dreamlike. I, for thought, a split I thought second. I I generally love the way that
0: JJ photographs these starships. He makes them feel big and important. But it does get a little weird sometimes when he starts like turning the camera upside down and stuff. I'm just kind of like, why, why is the
1: camera tilting like
2: this? For better or worse, Discovery took a lot from that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it it does reinforce there's no up or down in space. And he's willing to play with that tool, which is a tool most other Star Trek directors have left on the shelf. Yeah, The There's no up or down. in space. It, 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 it
1: visually delineates it. You're going to
2: turn movie Star movie. Trek upside down. Yeah, there yeah, you but, go. I was trying to find a good way to put it.
1: So uh, yeah, let's the opening sequence, I think almost everybody has to kind of be into, right? Yeah, when, when
0: I walked into this movie theater still very nervous and I saw this opening sequence of the Kelvin and the death of George Kirk uh, and I was just like, so hooked. Yes. I was like, oh my God, that is so cool. Uh, something that Dave pointed out when we talked about uh, the... First episode of DS Nine: Emissary mm-hmm. was that uh, DS Nine kind of starts off in a very similar way with a oh, yeah, yeah. with a similar uh, space battle and a family member dying and someone else escaping on a shuttle. But yeah, yeah. You know, a little Wolf Three
1: Five Nine.
0: But I I think that they got this opening sequence so right, yeah. and if it if it didn't have this big emotional scene that that hooks into your heart and your feelings, it makes you connect with with the movie. I, I don't think these movies would be as as well-liked no, as they are. I, I, I,
2: arguably the hook of this, because it is structured like a 60s episode with a hook and then the credits. Um, mm-hmm. The hook might be the best part of this movie. It and functions it like hurts. a small movie on yeah, its own. But it needs to be the best part. Yes. Um, absolutely. And... What it does is everyone comes in with all their mental baggage, and they just emotionally blow you away, yeah. so that your brain gets switched off, and you're just feeling, and then you just go with it out of the roller coaster. <laughs> after that, I'm, I'm and a, it's very clever, and it's something JJ is amazingly good at. And, and Mike, Michael Giacchino's score contributes a lot oh, to yeah, that as well, yeah. and also Chris Helmsworth's
0: oh, yeah. performance. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, and I, I always start tearing up when I'm watching this at the moment where. The, the the torpedoes are about to hit the shuttle that his yeah. wife is on and like he's like shooting those down and yeah. saving the, her that yeah. that always makes me start crying yeah. you know
1: what I love about that scene I was when I was watching it today I noticed that they like didn't overplay it like some big dr- the music was not super dramatic at that moment there was one that's like right about to hit it and it just gets like popped off yeah and it's actually they handle it kind of quietly in, in that exact moment when it was like closest to happening. And and he, uh, I think Abrams kind of plays around with those Ooh. those tempos a little bit. So unlike Michael Bay, who's like everything has to be up to eleven all the time, I think Abrams has a sense of when to let a scene breathe a little bit. Like when when sure when uh, Kirk's dad has a has a moment to talk to his wife, this the movie lets him talk to her for a few minutes. It doesn't have to happen so quickly. Uh, I, I noticed that. The it happens well, fairly quick, yeah. but well,
0: well, well, let me say something that's a direct reaction to that. Okay. The, the movie also does something that's the opposite of that when the captain of Rab- Rabot... Um, uh, yeah, the... The the cap the captain of the ship, the guy who kidnapped Tony Stark. Kelvin captain, yeah. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, when, when he gets killed and then, like, George Kirk and everyone on the, the Kelvin Bridge are reacting and he starts, like, giving orders and stuff and the camera actually cuts away from him mid-sentence. It's because it's like he doesn't have time to, like talk about stuff it's like it's like here comes the action 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 right here yeah. comes the torpedoes the ship starts getting hit yeah and uh, so it does like the op- like here he has like a moment to breathe have an emotional bit yeah. and here's like another part where like the action just takes over so you
1: know? there's moments that the the characters have to talk to each other and they want the camera to get in close on them and have some scenes where the conversation back and forths a little bit. Well, they and do I, and, and this
2: weird sound thing where, like, they bring down almost all the sound effects right. to nothing during the birth Like, right, the music will... Only the music, and sometimes not even the yeah. music. and then you hear the baby cry, mm-hmm. and... Somehow, despite all the explosions and everything, that's the only sound effect they let through, yeah. I, and everything else is pulled down to not is is not there at all except the music. So, and I thought that was an nice, interesting touch because really there should be all sorts of stuff screaming oh, at yeah. George Kirk over the inter- at that point.
0: <laughs> I, I know there should be more to Kirk than just being like the the space warrior that General Chang wanted to fight in Star Trek Six, but it is kind of
1: cool to be born in this this epic looking space battle. Yes, yes. and. Uh, I, A space you, battle that, by the way, uh, look uh, instead of the kind of uh, relatively slow-moving uh, ship battles of various treks past, almost had the kind of immediacy of like the D-Day scene in Saving Private Ryan, when when all the yes. phasers and everything cut loose and all of the. Uh, uh, the Naradas, whatever those are, are hitting it, torpedoes. They, they yeah. call
0: them missiles sometimes, they call them torpedoes sometimes. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. But, but like split up. They you follow that screen. crew member
2: getting sucked out the hole, yeah. spinning oh, yeah. out and Which, bouncing off the phaser. I, I
0: always
1: thought, when I was a kid, I always thought it'd be cool to see something like that in Star Trek. Yeah. Yeah. It certainly looked best in this, yes. and it has something of that feel of what Wrath of Khan shook me up when I was a kid, of like seeing the consequences in a big way of a space battle. There's big explosions on the interior. You see kind of some wild camera things where it looks like people, you know, explosions knock people like thirty feet, mm. and you know, it looks mm. pretty intense. But <laughs> and just to be like,
0: oh, what Dave will probably think is like a weird technical thing to even pay any attention to. And I'm what, already bro- disgusted. What Brian will probably like disagree with me on <laughs> is I actually like the way that they use star dates in this movie. Starting here, where it's it's twenty two thirty three point oh four because I'm like. Finally, a star date that makes sense. It's just like the year, and then like a decimal. Yeah,
2: I I will say I finally, on my latest reviewing of the movie, made my peace with that. I decided that in the future, they're not quite speaking English, they're speaking Anglish or something, like the novels say, and that this is a tra- this is just a little more thoroughly translated than some of the yeah. other Star <laughs> <laughs> Trek. I also, like, I think Star Dates
0: are stupid, and I, I they, they don't really make sense in TOS, and then, like, with the rest of Star Trek, and then if you try to watch the shows in that Star Date order, it doesn't make sense, and I just always Actually, about, it works fine,
2: except for, like, one two episodes, maybe three. Father, I'd <laughs> just like
1: to say your assessment of what I would think about it was correct. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways... Um, let me let me quick throw this out. When I'm watching this opening scene, there is like the analytical pick you know nerdy pick the movies apart part of me that's like there is like nothing more kind of emotionally manipulative than the scene where like this guy is trying to defend his babe newborn baby from a from a marauder and then he's going to die nobly doing it but and again it is so effective at what it does that if there's not like a tear on your cheek you know but, i feel well, like yeah. there's something not quite right with you yeah.
2: I, I will i will also say that um i said it was you know sort of star wars in star trek clothing mm-hmm. um it's not entirely that because kirk's mom does not die of sadness at the end <laughs> <so>. uh, well <laughs> yeah amazing. because uh star wars is stupid and terrible 50 percent of the time <laughs> it,
0: go ahead and at me i don't care uh, but yeah, let's let's move past the, op- sure. the opening scene and uh, let's talk about uh, Spock for a little bit and the, the Vulcan bullies and uh, kid Spock. I, I love that they take stuff from the best animated series episode yesteryear. Yeah. Yes. And um, I was so
1: surprised by that in the theater because I'm like, oh my God, someone else watched that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The notion of Vulcan bullies is a little bit weird, but one of the things I love about those scenes showing young Spock is when his father articulates something that the audience might not really know if they're not Trekkies, which is that he's like, Vulcans do, not only do they feel emotions, he says we we may feel them more intensely than most humans. Yes. Um, It's very,
0: very, like, D.C. Fontana, old school Yeah, Mm
1: -hmm. But, but, yeah, explaining that essentially what they do is they live a super rigid uh, philosophy uh, where they, they try and curb that, and that, you know, they really believe that that's the best way to live. Uh, but yeah, they experience emotions, and they're going to put Spock through a ringer later in the movie, so it's important to know that. Um, Sarek also so, uses a, a line from Yesteryear
0: where he says it? that um, logic offers a serenity that humans seldom
1: experience. Uh, which know, is something that adult Spock tells kid Spock in Yesteryear. That's a, It's a great line, and I, and I did want to mention for a movie that has a lot of sort of pop dialogue, You know, some of it's kind of doofus jokes and stuff like that. Uh, there are a few lines in here that have stayed with me. Obviously, like when the guy tells, uh, when Pike tells Kirk, you know, your father was a captain of a starship for 12 minutes. That whole sequence, some very memorable lines.
2: They, they are scattered throughout the whole I have, movie. I have to say, as far as dialogue, this mm-hmm. is really well written. I mean, the they 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 it's loads of quotable moments. Some of them are jokes, and maybe you think they are too many jokes, but mm-hmm. it is loads of quotable, yeah. quotable stuff. The, the plot stuff's a little loosey goosey. I yeah, think that's the, die, probably yeah, the yeah, works.
1: Yeah. yeah, what I'm thinking and of, and like some of the technical stuff, like I, uh, you know, we've yeah. always talked about. It, I don't want it to. I don't need tons of techno babble, but a, like a little bare minimum. I'm, I kind of would prefer that they do yeah. the,
0: these. Um, the style of storytelling that that J.J. Abrams uses, like we've mentioned, it is it is uh, very effective on the emotional level. Um, as far as like having like a a a clear and solid plot, that's where it's a little yeah. wibbly wobbly. But, <laughs> yeah. but if you can enjoy the ride, if you hook into the the emotional stuff, totally, totally.
1: And I think you owe it to yourself and maybe even the movie <laughs> to to do that. Uh, you know, it's you're 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 just gonna end up like having a terrible experience if you're going to fight it all the <laughs> yeah. time. Yeah.
2: I think Star Wars also appeals to emotion more than mm-hmm. intellect and I think that's what J.J. likes to do. That's the move. all of J.J.'s movies that I've seen have mm-hmm. been emotion-based uh, much more than intellect-based. Yeah. Did you, you know, I didn't, Young
1: Kirk is almost too much of a jerk for me. I, I I wanted to smack him down. So that was one of the problems that I,
0: I watched this movie with the commentary track again, uh-huh. and, and they said it was one of the problems that they had is that they they thought Kirk was a little unlikable, and they had to cut some stuff to try to make him a little bit more.
1: Am I right that essentially the but- the core difference in his world and the world of most of the people we know is simply that he grew up without the guiding
2: hand I of mean, a father. I He grew up with some sort of father, just not his birth. <laughs> yeah, a guy who said he life. was going to
1: whoop his ass for yeah. stealing his car. Which yeah. seems fair. <laughs> yeah, but you got the vibe that this guy might not be a great... Uh, dad. So,
2: unfortunately, I recognized the voice, and I'd seen him in Heroes, and I loved him in Heroes. So I was like, "Oh, Greg, Greg Gunberg can't be a bad oh, dad." That's, can't that's in Greg Gunberg. Really? Yeah. Yes, yes. I know Abrams always uses. Yes, him. yes. And I was I like, forgot that. "But I, so all my love for that actor was <laughs> like clouding my." He's clearly supposed to be an abusive dad, and that was one of the things that does rub me the wrong way. That feels like we're going against Roddenberry a little bit. We all we all do stuff we shouldn't do as kids. I do think it's like it's pretty extreme stuff.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but um, but he didn't hurt anyone per se. It's property damage. I think we're supposed to see what made Kirk be in the wrong, like a little bit that his his life simply hasn't been kind of as um, uh, what's privileged is almost the word I'm looking for as it was when he had a supportive kind of noble father. But I do think they wanted him to, simply put, be more of a loose cannon, a little more Kirk than Kirk. Um, and, 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 and that allowed them to play up to the stereotype that the average person knows, which is kind of won out in the pop culture over the actual...
2: Show itself. Yeah, well, I mean okay. the original Kirk was described as being a bookworm at the Academy. Right. This is not this Kirk. So what changed? I mean, he could be. He could still be a bookworm. We don't actually <laughs> he, see him when he's hitting the
1: books. When he, <laughs> when he talks to her, he impresses her by knowing what like xenolinguistics oh, yeah. is. Mm-hmm. And it is clear supposed I think it's supposed to be he's like He's Probably one of those guy. people who's casually smart, who doesn't apply himself and Pike has to come along and be that second father figure and yeah. kick his ass and make him apply himself.
0: So the the bar sequence in Iowa, I yeah. really dig that because that to me like that bar, it looks like something that could exist in the time period and with the aesthetic of the original series, it's mm. colorful, people have a bunch of like retro hairdos and the... You know what
1: also it looked unlike say uh not to pick on next gen, but like the sedate, ten forward lounge style. No,
0: this was much more happening yeah. fun. Right? Yeah. It
1: looked like I feel like the, one of my favorite scenes in in Star Trek Discovery, which was the big party that they throw in the Harry Mudd episode, owes this scene something for allowing the allowing Trek's utopian future to have a little bit of. Fun, fun in the style of modern day yeah, partying, loud, loud party, yeah. yeah, yeah. I would,
0: I would go drink at that bar. Yeah. I've actually been to Riverside, Iowa, and uh, they should establish this bar somewhere up there. That yeah. scene
1: also contains some uh, really terrible, like the start of some of their dumbest gags. Um, a kind of a dopey interface with, with that, the huh? with the guy, with the big guy who's like calls him Cupcake. Well, you know, here's the thing: like, if had this been made in the '80s or '70s, I kind of feel like that would have been. Typical of, like, Trek's sense of humor. It had a broad sense of humor in those old episodes, like the fight scene in Trouble with Tribbles has a lot of visual humor in it. Um, It's just that they were going to... Uhura is a character that, you know, is somewhat famously didn't get as much to do as we really would have liked her for her to have. And to kind of reduce her to a bit of a sex object, even though Kirk was clearly the creep here, Uh, and make her, like, the subject of a sex joke, yeah, that just kind of rubs me the wrong I, I, way. I don't like the way that they, they so treat yeah. Uhura in, in
2: the movie with some of that type of stuff. See, I, overall, I thought I was glad that they took Uhura and made her basically the third most important good guy in the story. Yeah. Um, and I liked that, or maybe fourth. But I also thought the scene was well done in that it shows Kirk is very flawed, but it also manages to give you enough of to show you that there's a diamond in the rough there. You can in that course of that bar sequence see that there is something much more to Kirk even before Pike starts going and, on about there's something and, more to you.
0: And I like I like him being the the cocky smartass when he gets in a fight with the the character we know from the comics is named Hindorf but yeah. uh yeah the the guy who who Kirk calls cupcake and yeah. you know what do you tell him maybe you can't count but there's there's four of us and only one of you, yeah. and he says, "So get some more guys and it'll be a, a, a fair
2: fight." And then yeah. they kick his ass. Um, but he the does who, pretty the, good I, against five or four people. He, he does, does not go fits, down like um, a punk. It
1: fits the guy who 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 felt like he should be able to beat the Kobayashi Maru, and who will it thematically ties into much of what we know about Kirk.
0: And it also sets up the recurring trope in this movie of Kirk getting beat up a lot, which uh, is kind uh, throughout of
1: not the whole thing. Every character it, takes some facial hits. Whether, you know, it's after Nero blows shit up or Spotgoat beams down to try and save his parents. Uh, J.J. likes to show his characters get roughed up. <laughs> Which but. was
2: the thing in the original series. There yeah. were fist fights all the time. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, just I, I they always
1: could... bring that up whenever someone says that this movie has,
0: has too much action. I mean, like, yeah, it does have... A, it's, it is very action-heavy, but T.O.S. was very action-heavy. It would
2: have been more if they could have afforded yeah,
0: it. If, if yeah, so. if they could have had anywhere near, like, this level of choreography or as... as, as, as spectacle, or stunts, yeah. they would have done all of this back in the 60s, I promise. Yes. What, what do y'all think about Bruce Greenwood's Captain Pike, who we, we get to meet uh, in this uh, sequence after the oh, bar fight? A few Pike. years
2: ago, I would have cons- considered him one of the best Captain Pikes. But, yeah. uh, Thanks again. a lot,
1: Anson Mount, for ruining Bruce Greenwood's on <laughs> um, Pike. I might still like Greenwood better. He, he doesn't Blast have much me. screen time to prove himself, but he's so instantly you know, like, got the right stuff kind of guy. Yeah. Um, that, that when he says, it kind of commands you to listen. You know, I almost feel like the movie turns into, like, a, like a recruitment movie at that point yeah. uh, when he's given his speech. Because I'm like, yeah, I'm ready to go sign up for the military yeah. and right now. When he says
2: there's more to you than this ma- this disaster, mm-hmm. you believe him. You know, and, you believe this guy. And
1: it's not just that scene. It's, like, when he's, they're about to take off, and there's a little bit of humor because Sulu forgot to basically take off the brakes or whatever. He doesn't. He gives him like a little smile or whatever, and you know, but he doesn't like hold it. Hold his feet to the fire, and then he's like, "You got it covered. All right, let's punch." I don't think he has near the warmth that Anson Mount has.
2: Um, you know, I don't know if that's true. The movie that scene is not a scene where you want to deploy the warmth. You want to slap, you know, shock Kirk into some. In the, I
1: think that he was showing warmth though when he said
2: he's like,
1: um, the fact that he chose Kirk to try and like. As, as, like, sort of a project that he wants to try and help him. I, I don't think he's. I mean, maybe he is. He does kind of talk like he's just doing it for Starfleet, but I think he wanted to help Kirk. Now, it bothers
0: me here that he tells him that he describes Starfleet as a. Uh, peacekeeping armada. Mm-hmm. I was like, can, they, they don't say the word explore at all in this movie. Yeah. And that's one of the things I hate about it.
1: It <laughs> did lean a little into the militaristic stuff. When this whole at, movie does. When they're at Starfleet it feels that way a bit more. Like and, the caps that they wear with their uniforms. Yeah. I, I, that, I don't that visually
2: that. really bugged me when I there first saw a it. a very similar cap when, on, in Pike's quarters in the cage
1: yeah but I'm glad yeah, that, but that that was, was like it's just a glimpse yeah, that <laughs> true. Was, like, bef- was.
0: They, before they like they didn't even know it was called Starfleet back then yeah, yeah. they call it like an earth ship and
1: it, anyways yeah. the um shortly after that we will get to his first meeting with McCoy, which I think is kind of hokey, even though mm-hmm. I really love that actor in the role. I, so I
0: loved it. Larry Nimitrek has a great description of this uh, dr. Trek, if you don't know who I'm yeah. talking about, but um he kind of talks about this as, as continuity whiplash because when uh dr mccoy says that the wife took the whole down planet and the divorce as like oh we finally have the divor- divorce on screen that's canonical now finally after all these years yay but then after that he says all I got left is my bones. And then it's like, back is like, no, no, that's not why your, your nickname is bones. It's because you're a doctor. And back in the civil war, they called doctors Sawbones. Yeah. Well,
2: the, did they, nothing in the movie rules out the Sawbones sure. thing and the, explicitly. That Kirk never says the reason I call him bones is this and yes. not this.
0: Well, that's one of the, the, the nice things about the Kelvin timeline, you know, being its own thing and being this departure is that if there's stuff in here that you like that fits in the prime timeline you can kind of fit it in there if it fits, and if you don't like it, you don't have to go with it. Yeah, yeah. Um, like the the idea of like Spock programming the Kobayashi Maru. Like, what is that? Did he invent the Kobayashi Maru? Is that why he never took it? And they're at the con. He said he never took it, but they also say in this movie is like he's been programming it for the last four years. So maybe he's just like the guy they they brought in to make it extra hard or something. I yeah, like
2: but, to think that he invented it, but.
1: You know, I have to quick say
2: because I was... they keep describing it as your test. Yes, yeah. So, so yeah. A... I love that idea. Spock made the Kobayashi Maru. I, awesome. <laughs> I'm not.
1: I'm not a fan. It's a little too like I, I don't want every my favorite characters to all have like a finger in every main big thing in Star Trek. Uh, but it's a low level quibble. I did think that uh, that when they showed the Kobayashi Maru it was kind of a letdown. Uh, like I wanted it to have a certain intensity. McCoy talked about it like it, like it. You know, nobody takes that twice, Jim. And then, um, and then when he does it, you know, obviously he's supposed to be cocksure because of his reprogramming thing, but it didn't look very intense to me, and, like, I kind of wanted it to be more of a thing. The
0: the thing that bothers me with the Kobayashi Maru is you don't really see Kirk doing anything special to beat it. Like, it kind of just... The movie
1: kind of... It's like he was literally just trolling Starfleet. Well,
0: yeah, like, it implies (laughs) that, like, he might have, like, hacked into it and, like, deleted a line of code here or there and, and just made it winnable, where it's just, he, he put it on easy
1: mode, basically, where he, yeah. the shields go down, you can just shoot all the Klingons with your torpedoes. I think yeah. I always would have liked for him to have, like, been doing something that, like, almost like the way he would have beat robots back in the day. He was pushing the rules so hard, like, the physics well, couldn't keep up with it. or something.
0: A, there's a deleted scene that mm-hmm. I I wish they left in here. I understand why they took it out. But uh, right before the Kobayashi Maru test, we see him in bed with the Orion girl, mm-hmm. Gala, I believe is her name. That sounds right uhura's roommate and yes uhura's roommate and the original idea is that he was just sleeping with her because he needed her to be at the right place at the right time he told her okay like tomorrow when i'm taking the test don't ask me why but like i need you to like open this message that i'm sending you from like this one specific place like this one specific computer terminal and and you'll understand then she's like okay and so like she does that and when she opens the message. It's like she gets like an email from Kirk, and like she like opens the attachment, and then like it like hacks into the Starfleet computer, and that's how he got in to 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 beat the thing. But part of why they took that out is because they thought that Kirk did come off as a little too unlikable, and they thought that that would be kind of scummy if he was just sleeping with her to use her to beat beat the thing. I agree, <laughs> and I, I, I can I can see that too. But I I do wish that there was something like that still in the movie. I'll say this about like that scene where he's in bed with her is. Mm-hmm. Um, like, she's really hot, but it is weird when we have Uhura come in, and then, like, she strips down to her underwear also. Mm-hmm. And that that feels, like, a little forced and juvenile. Absolutely.
1: You know what's interesting is, like, they definitely, like, there's a little bit, uh, uh, you know, Star Trek always had some sexy going on it. Those minis- many shirts sure. weren't out of nowhere. Um, but they didn't have people just, like, strip down to their
2: underwear. Yeah.
1: <laughs> there was a lot of, like, silver bikinis and stuff in that in the 60s. Uh, that's yeah. pretty
2: close. I have to admit, I'm pretty sure Roddenberry absolutely would have done that oh, in yes, this movie if he could. So, in the 60s. But uh,
1: so, <laughs> You know what I will say? Most of the people I know who don't like that are kind of my, like, nerdy Trekkie fans. I think the average viewer that kind of bol- pushed this movie into mega sales thought it was funny and, and sexy. Well, I forgive
0: um, it, and this is actually one of my think... favorite moments in, in the movie, because... Uh-huh. You know, I told you I was like really hooked after the opening scene, mm-hmm. and then you know, as the movie got on, I was like, "Okay, is this going to lose me? This is a little weird here and there." But then, when we get to here, and you hear us describing the transmission that she got about how this ship destroyed forty-seven Klingon ships, and I was like, <laughs> "Oh my god!" They said forty-seven. I am so
1: on board. I hope. I hope this franchise makes twelve movies. I'm on board for every one of them. This podcast is over. <laughs> um... You know what I did notice by the way about that like, I have two comments to springboard off that and quickly get away from your obsession. Uh one is that did Nero they say they they he destroys those ships and they that was like where that they, they were exploring uh, Klingon the Klingon system on the Kelvin, right? Did he just hang out in Klingon's border space for 25 so, years? So
0: another deleted scene, he was captured, taken to Ru'a Pinthe, was oh, yeah. a prisoner there and then he escaped. Um, conveniently before Spock shows up with the red matter yeah. that he he can use to. Well, they kind of decide it's
2: time. Let's but, go escape now, which yeah. means like if really, you just hung out in a prison. You could have escaped ten years ago. I'd, <laughs>
1: I'd read a comic. I'd read a comic about that. If there is else. one. It's uh, called Star
2: Trek Nero, and it's
0: about what he was oh, doing. That's during was, this time. Okay, period. I thought
1: I had read all the prequel stuff. I forgot that one existed. I, I need to read that. What's well, kind of an in between cool because it's yeah. after the opening scene, but yeah,
0: bef- yeah. It, it takes place in that that twenty five year
1: jump. I think that's actually a decent enough plot point.
2: It's definitely the movie doesn't need it, um, but uh but that's kinda cool. I, I have to um, admit, my headcanon is that he went off to Romulus for twenty years and taught the Romulans how to save themselves from this exploding star. <laughs> and here's a bunch of cool super weapons. So and then <laughs> Oh, he's... I gotta go, my twenty years is up. <laughs> so You would um, think
0: he'd be like a little less unhinged if that was the case. Yeah, but... and later
1: on he says his whole his other his like got one goal which is to destroy Vulcan and make Spock sad. And the other goal is to wreck Starfleet. Well, so that I, maybe his, his Nero sat won't... around
2: brooding for twenty years, but his crew went off to Romulus he's and an ex- tipped them He's an expert brooder. There's a yeah, whole yeah. lot of going yeah, yeah. on. Look, we brought you the Captain of the Kelvin. I'm but, busy brooding. Yeah, you yeah, interrogate he him. <laughs> he doesn't speak at
0: all during that and and I kind of feel like Eric Bana, who I, I think he's a capable actor. Yeah. Um maybe he's a little hit and mess, I don't know. I can't really think of anything I love that he's like the lead man in, but I've seen him be good in a bunch of stuff. I feel like the script didn't give him much to work with, so he's like, okay, I'm just going to be like over the top when I can, and just uh, just
1: have fun with this character. I think he, I think he did a good job with the material. Uh, I do agree. He's like a somewhat lesser light in the Star Trek villainy, but I, I like watching him choose yeah. some scenery yeah. and, and brood, and then leap out with a spear suddenly. <laughs> yeah. Like that's like yeah,
0: fun. Like I mentioned with the last movie, Star Trek Nemesis, I said, okay, going forward, every villain is a con ripoff. Yeah, one of them actually literally being con. <laughs>
1: but um <laughs> all he, vengeance-based yes, madmen. Th-
0: they're all a guy who's mad about one specific thing from the past and they're on a quest for revenge. Yeah. And um it's true. It it it,
2: it feels derivative and this it- is but he's, there's a big difference. He's a blue-collar revenge-obsessed guy. <laughs> that's, true. <laughs> that's true. He's the only blue-collar villain. With this stuff. ridiculous monster mining <laughs> ship. But, now, the other thing I wanted to mention is Have you seen was, how big asteroids can be? You need a big <laughs> ship to mine big rocks. Yeah, it's just, it's just I'm sure that's what they wanted you to think. It, it,
0: it is, it is <laughs> distracting that the ship looks so like scary and aggressive
2: and Like mean. a Lovecraft and, ship. Yeah, it's like if Cthulhu was a spaceship, he would be the Narada. <laughs> it's got a bunch of arms to grab.
0: I get part. that there's practical explanations for the design, but the the aesthetic has such a, like a psychological impact of, of being something that's just like over the top monster. Yeah, it looks like an
1: alien from Aliens <laughs> became a ship. Yeah, it
0: too. looks like a xenomorph impregnated a <laughs> star, <laughs> star destroyer, star destroyer.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: and this is what like bursted out. <laughs> I think we pinned it down. But that's the right. I like your version better. <laughs> now I want to say um,
1: one of the things about Uhura doing that is that. I feel like and I can move the jump forward with this all the core crew members who in the original series really until the movies they had little episodes that were their their sort of moments to shine but they didn't feel like family and they didn't feel like they were lead characters but this yeah. one, just right out of the gate, everybody gets cool scenes. Chekhov is the whiz kid. Sulu is an expert pilot.
0: Even though he left the parking brake, even on. though he left the, parking but he
1: saved on. the ship by doing that. And he's also yeah. a badass like Spencer right out of the gate. Yeah, because that was one of the
0: memorable things from the original mm-hmm. series. Was uh, as, as the the Plinket review for this movie describes it. Uh, one time Sulu got drunk and ran around with a sword. <laughs> yeah. So here they make him like a really cool sword fighter. And it, it's yeah. it, it kind of silly to do that with a Starfleet officer, but it works
1: for the story. Right. Yeah. It's it's it gave everybody a hook sort of. And, and Uhura is like, you know, super bad with her badass with her tech and also uh, like an expert at linguistics. She knows all the dialect, the three dialects of Vulcan, Romulan. Uh, or Romulan and um and I like that that gets going quickly. Uh, wow. All those characters, even though they only sometimes only get a few moments, but like they're pretty big. Chekhov, you know, is the one who gets them off the Vulcan when it's collapsing. It's not his fault that uh, that he didn't get Spock's mom. <laughs> Uh, that, was the, I mean, that was the planet. He had just, but he also saved Kirk yeah, and he, he, Sulu. Yeah, he had just
0: done another badass transporter job saving yeah. Kirk and Sulu. And and yeah, the, let's talk about
1: like the Vulcan crisis and how... You're just going to move past num-tongue? And, um, well, no, well, we, we
2: can bring that up. Uh, well, let's but, just all bow our heads well, for a just, moment. Yeah, <laughs> I have to admit, dumbest part of the movie is the whole Kirk is infected <laughs> with this thing that causes whatever stupid symptom the script writer yeah. can think I, of. I like... Yeah. I like McCoy
0: infecting Kirk as a way to do him a favor and get him on board the Enterprise. The basic idea is sound. They, they they milk
2: that tit for way too long, and, yeah. and the milk ain't that good. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Absolutely. I couldn't put it better. That is probably my least favorite. As far as every time I see it, the part that still gets worse rather than better is yeah. that. But I do love that beauty shot of the Enterprise
0: when they go to board the Enterprise. Yeah. And um, I, I forgot about this till I rewatched You're the about The first big shot of it? Yes. Yeah. Um, It is almost
1: like the anti-Star Trek the motion picture in that it, like, does. It looks so good in kind of that one split second. But it's only really really, second.
0: They, they draw it out for. A, a, it's only like five or ten seconds. But you get like several different shots of it. Yeah, you can okay. actually you can follow the process of here's the shuttle is here at the front of the saucer. Then here right. it comes over here between the pylons, mm-hmm. and now here it's in the aft section going into the shuttle bay. And to me, it's a JJ it, slow moment. It does the motion picture <laughs> long tracking shot. I know Brian's going to slap me when I finish the sentence, <laughs> but it does that better than the motion than Robert Wise did.
2: <laughs> um.
1: <laughs> uh no. The disadvantage it has is that it's Enterprise looks like a 60s hot rod of curves and is nowhere near as cool as the Motion Picture I'm ship. Hot rod Enterprise, I, why not? So uh, we'll call this like the Kelvin Prize cuz now yeah. we have like the Disco Prize, the Kelvin large. Prize. Yeah. But it, you know, I actually did feel that over time that the uh the Constitution class seemed a little small compared to like uh, the Picard's Enterprise and stuff. I, so. I disagree.
0: I love the size of the Connie, and I my biggest issue with the ship is how they made it so gigantic. I just ignore that. In my <laughs> head, it's only
2: a little bit bigger than the, the than the the Prime Universe it, Connie. It, it
0: was going to be smaller, but then they upscaled it because JJ wanted to use this giant
1: interior set for the shuttle bay. Interestingly, most of those are the only shots I overtly dislike. Is all the industrial. Uh, stuff inside... Um, the Budweiser I, brewery stuff. The brewery stuff. I love... I, I like how the bridge looks. I like the Apple Store look that people joked about. Uh, well, we should probably mention the lens flare at some point, but Ugh. but for for its vividly bright future that it was mostly portraying a pretty optimistic future, I, it almost works thematically. I, I, it, it does bug me that that shuttlecraft... I mean, not shuttlecraft,
0: that that turbo lift takes like... One and a half seconds to go from shuttle the shuttle bay to the bridge, and we actually follow Spock go from the shuttle bay to the turbo lift to the bridge, and it's just like bam, bam. And I'm like, how the hell did you get through the ship that fast? But it looks cool. Like it's it like does it's look neat cool. to see
1: it all in one tracking shot. Where to get into uh, a turbo lift?
2: I I, I think that. To make them cool, I can see why the turbo lifts need to be super fast. And, I do compare it to the old '60s Star Trek, where Spock is on the bridge and he gets into the turbo lift and tells the turbo lift to go to deck two, and then has a five minute conversation <laughs> with the person in the turbo lift. Yeah. Well, we don't know what part of deck two he was going to. It, it's it's right under the bridge, deck two. is was tiny.
1: oh yeah, deck two small. small. Yeah, yeah it yeah. was <laughs> the portion of deck two that's actually outside the ship by about five miles. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean this this is a different ship than the
0: the one in the original series. This was built later in a different timeline and maybe yeah. it has like if you need to get first officer to the bridge super fast because there's a crisis going on it has like a, a super turbo 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 lift speed. I think yeah.
1: there's something in there where like you don't feel like it, it it cancels out um what do you call it centrifugal force or something like that <laughs> right. so that you don't feel it. The turbo um, lifts
2: obviously uh, have to have a They darkness. must be
1: doing something cool like yeah, that. Yeah yeah. Yeah, so, I, 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 of course, am not particularly bugged by the ship being that much bigger and, you know, that, like, the weird notion that, like, oh, the death of Kirk's father somehow triggered bigger ships. Whatever. <laughs> um, I Obviously, it was an aesthetic choice. Yeah. Um, and, and overall, I actually love most of how they film the ship. It looks so fast when it's going in warp. Oh, I it's love like the, the warp camera. Jumps. It's yeah. like the camera can't keep up with it. It's cool. So. I, I did <laughs> like JJ
2: found a way to film big ships that is not Star Wars. Yeah, Star yes. Wars big ships work like Star Trek big ships. Yeah, they still love big them. ponderous. Moving across. Yeah. JJ shows us that these ships have some amazing, like, you know, 1000G impulse drives, <laughs> yes. um, and accelerate like you would, like they're described in the tech manuals, mm-hmm. but never seen on screen. And I did like that they managed to make the ships both look big and look fast at the same time, which yeah. I would have bet was impossible to do both, and J.J. did it, so hats off to him. And the
0: the, the special effects on the ships are so good. When I saw this, I was so impressed with it. I, I thought this was, like, the best CGI ships I'd ever seen in any movie in 2009, and it, it's still up there pretty high now, ten years later. Yeah, I agree. When they arrive at Vulcan, you see all the ship debris everywhere. I
1: like that scene because it's, like, it's super intense, and, it, again, it has a little bit of that... Saving Private Ryan D-Day's feel even though there it's not like they're being shot at initially but there's just so much debris and wreckage and uh, you know the camera moves around it'll show some long shots of the ship while it's like doing its little spiral maneuver yeah. and, and you
0: don't feel like it's like zipping around like a like a jet fighter and yeah. it, like it has to like dive under to go yeah. under the debris yeah. it feels like a massive and ship clearly
1: some debris hits it like yeah. small debris and like at least one big debris and you see it like scrape off the, the plating on the nacelles it looks so cool yeah. Yeah. Kirk
0: Here's, it's a lightning storm in space, and he runs to the bridge to warn everyone because he knows what that means. I hate that they call it a lightning storm in space instead of some type of like anti proton anomaly or some, some techno babbly yeah. stuff. Like, lightning storm in space sounds like that. There's a variety of things in Star that Trek that for, could be a, a was, lightning
2: storm, I'm sure. That was for the rubes in the audience. <laughs> it, it does work within context. They're all, they say in the Kel, uh, aboard the USS Kelvin, it looks like a, I mean, I don't... I just want to... It looks like a lightning storm in space. That's impossible. I know. That's why we're calling you. Yeah. So, um, you know, they're, they're describing it They did it seem visually. to have some awareness of
1: it, and I think they yeah. wanted something iconic sounding. Yeah. Uh, you know, to be fair, if you don't know what it is, then just using a colloquialism to describe the baseline yeah. visuals makes a certain amount of sense. Yeah. Um, oh, I what
2: remember what I was going to say about the debris and the the the, the, the D-Day um, Saving Private Ride. Yeah, yeah. It... Gives you this huge feeling that the situation is slipping out of control. Right, the, yeah. The, the chaos the, the is... still real. The chaos is overwhelming right. the entire world, both when they drop out of warp, both when they... Right. The stuff with the Kelvin attack. All oh, right. And, and J.J. is out. very good at that. He's taken out every other
1: ship, and they, like... The situation... They had not stopped, like... To, you know, like, if they had gone any further and, like, arrived when they did, they would be gone too.
2: Yeah. But just the, just sailing through that, you realize the situation is totally out of control. Yeah. And that it, it, that's what you feel as opposed to think. Well, and and also, they do a very good job with
1: that. When Nero gets the drop on him, he li- literally recreates the opening sequence where he's like, bring your captain aboard.
0: But first like, he says... Hi, Christopher. I'm Nero. <laughs> which I love. Yeah.
2: He's so blue collar. Just you know, I'm not all this like, preta- smarmy. Oh, back you. on Earth, oh. I was a prince. <laughs> that oh. Hey, Christopher. What's up, Chris? <laughs> yeah, I was <laughs> boy Nero. Growing up on the Nerada. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it was just nice having this something... non-pretentious, non pretentious, non. On know... a certain level, it's
1: ridiculous. On another level, it absolutely fits what the movie does everywhere else. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is to hey. subvert your expectations. Yeah and have a somewhat more pop approach to things. It's
0: weird to me because it's kind of jarring from every other scene with Nero where he's just shouting at the top of his lungs, but yeah. okay. I'll, I'll, I've already accepted that this movie's not going to have like a, a, a super well designed, thought out villain. Mm-hmm.
2: A real um, uh, enticing villain. That He is really well thought out. They just left all <laughs> those thoughts in the comic book and not in the sure. movie. <laughs> yeah, So...
0: Um, but, but moving past that, we have like the, the orbital jump, the skydiving sequence, which, has the big red shirt joke in there, nah. and when I watched this for the first time, I actually didn't get it. I, well, I was hoping. I was like, "I'm a dumb dumb." I was like, "Oh my god, this guy is in red. I, I wonder, wouldn't it be really funny if they kill him now?" And I, <laughs> I liked it the first time, yeah. But now when I'm watching it, it's like this guy is so ridiculous and overzealous, gonna and... go kick
1: some Romulan ass. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I think <laughs> I think it was for yeah. the casual viewers that had an awareness of the red shirt trope. Yeah, and. It gave them a moment to kind of feel like a Trekkie who was in the know. And I don't want to begrudge them a little bit of surface Trek humor. It's relatively
2: minor. His death is pointless, too, because they still successfully drill the hole and drop in the weapon. Yeah. Well, the whole mission is kind of pointless. I, I guess they, they destroy it so they can use the transporter and communications, but then they That's don't true. really they, call anybody, but they and they only need the transporter. I guess they couldn't have beamed the old Vulcan. Well, they probably would have done the it, drill up. If they
1: that. had done it faster before the drill had finished its thing, if they had just been faster, basically, mm. then he wouldn't have been able to drop the red matter in. Yeah. and I love that they use Vasquez Rock. For a location
0: in Vulcan. Mm. Vasquez Rock being the the location that they used on many Star Trek shows. I don't think all of them, but going all the way back to season one of the original series, famously where Kirk fought the Gorn at Cestus 3 in Arena. And they used that same shooting location here. And we also saw that in the Picard trailer. So we know they're, they're using Vasquez Rock again in Star Trek Picard. But that's where
1: Spock beams down to save his family. And this is where Amanda dies. Yep. Uh, which, by the way, stunt casting-wise, that was... Uh, that was a bit of a surprise because they had ca- gone and cast Winona Ryder. Big big name actress. Uh, so they got a big name actress and then they
2: kill her off. Yeah. Um, you know what? Uh, and they put her in old age makeup for reasons <laughs> that are not entirely clear in the final cut of the yeah. film. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um,
1: so not, so I generally don't like characters to just get killed off sort of for dramatic value named characters. Um, but but I think it was pretty effectively done. And I actually liked how after, I mean, aside from good good special effects that, on the destruction and all that stuff, that they acknowledged that um, there were at, le- at least, Spock estimates, like 10,000 surviving Vulcans. So they kind of a little, are a little bit realistic about it. That, yeah, there's presumably colonists and other people who might have gotten saved. Um, but he does very poignantly say he's now a member of an endangered species, which I mm-hmm. thought was a good line. Uh, it kind of very concisely sums up. His place now. Yeah.
0: I'm I'm a big sucker for uh, mother and son stories. Mm-hmm. Um, just from being real close to my mom, and and even even uh, she died a few years ago, but even like before that. Um, I was always like uh, that was just like an easy way to tug on my heartstrings and get me invested in a story mm-hmm. so yeah that was a big like tear jerker moment for me is like when he watches his mom die in front of him
1: well also and, like when they when they arrive when everybody else is transported into the transporter room there's just silence in there everybody kind of understands what happens uh, what happened and but nobody I think says anything yeah, they
2: slow down and they hang on the moment it's one of yeah. those JJ slowdown moments yeah um, no, I, I I liked it. I I will say that is the one of the scenes that now having seen season one and two of Discovery and the fact that something probably very similar to that happened in the Kelvin universe. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, that's kind of what they state in wait, this. In mo- the Kelvin
1: universe or in the Prime universe,
2: it probably happened in the Kelvin universe too. Why wouldn't it? So, um, wait, what's what scene are you talking about? Then? The the idea that just a few months ago Spock lost his sister oh I and now he just lost his mother oh. and his I... home planet I'm like this is the worst year for this Spock is... ever yeah mate, <laughs> I, I try to keep like the discovery stuff separate but uh, this, this movie explicitly says time likes to do that kind of stuff time yeah. wants you if there's a message to the film it's that yeah time will put you time will put you and Spock and McCoy and Sulu and everyone back on a new version of the ship to fix things as <laughs> quick as possible I don't so, like that
0: either being in Star Trek I don't like time having like its I don't like, like the message and... but it's clearly I, the message I, I, <laughs> I feel like I feel like the movie th- that was stated more clearly in a deleted scene with, yeah. with Leonard Nimoy yeah. I, I think in like the final cut of the movie it's it's not
2: conveyed well, it's the only way like, to make any sense of what happens is that there's uh, well and I, uh, to make any sense of the mirror universe as well is that time has some sort of force that pushes these people into these events let's, let's just say that q was doing it okay well q is pushing people. i don't
1: like to i don't like to poke too much at the mirror universe yeah. because yeah. it's such a fun contrivance yeah. to me now so. but i do speaking of contrivances Let's let's talk about Leonard Nimoy's appearance and Scotty's yeah, arrival and, and, and how Delta somehow Vega. Delta Vega is within visual sight of Vulcan. So, but they had been in warp and had left Vulcan. No, they, the they, had, they hadn't gone to warp. Oh, were they not? But, were they still
0: at Impulse? Um, th- so... My explanation is that... Like a moon or something? Yeah. Well, we know Vulcan has no moons. Okay. But we see nearby planets in the motion picture in the theatrical cut. Yeah. So I think this is like Delta Vega and Delta Vega's moon. And kind of like how Romulus and Remus are kind of like twin planets. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you, this is a cool like little Romulan-Vulcan connection. Maybe like Delta Vega and Vulcan are like twin planets. And one of them is really cold. And the other one's really hot. And I don't know. That kind of works. Yeah.
1: Sure. Let's roll with it. <laughs> yeah, uh, but it's, it is as sure as a lucky coincidence that Kurt gets ejected from uh, the ship, which is a crazy thing for Spock to do, but dramatic. He's just so um, pissed off,
0: and he's I mean, he just had like a really bad day. Well, so I'm sure
2: Nero wanted Spock, uh, old Spock, to live with the pain. Yeah, right? so he doesn't want Spock to just die on the ice planet. So he puts him down near the Starfleet base, knowing that, uh, figuring that eventually he'll go to the base and he, you know and get rescued. Right. And you could argue that continue to live with the pain of losing Vulcan.
1: Spock I, wasn't going to send him off to a planet that was like some barren death trap, he was sent him to something where yeah, there young... was at least a place he could get to. Yes, yeah, so they but... both sent him near the outpost for the same reason. So it's a little reasonable. Spock would have been a asshole if one of those snow monsters ate
2: Chris Pine and... We... The uh, probe tell- a- 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 tells him he will be rescued from the station. Stay in uh, the pod. Yeah. And Kirk, being Kirk, ignores it and goes out and gets attacked yeah, by monsters. So, so, so uh, Spock's hands are, are clean. <laughs> <laughs> we need to talk about Zachary Quinto. Uh, absolutely, yes. Yeah, um, he's great
1: breakout star. the The best. The, the is he the best kind of of the of the cast? I kind like, of. I'm partial
0: to, to Carl Urban, but he doesn't get as much to do. Yeah, and and McCoy is more one note. He doesn't have the range. Getting Spock get, yeah. right
1: and making him like because they had to do a few new things with this. Like they introduced the. we we'll, we'll, maybe we'll talk about this in a minute. The uh, uh, the romance with Uhura, and they wanted to. I think in some ways make take the Spock that had kind of f- become part of fandom. Uh, you know that had had fan fiction written about him, and and acknowledge a sexy spot. <laughs> oh, I don't I don't know if that was a big priority for the... I think why do you think they? Did I don't it? know.
0: I mean, because they needed they needed someone to have a love interest, and they they wanted to be like a little. I so mean, originally they were going to put Carol Marcus in here, give mm-hmm. Kirk uh some someone to lust after. But I like that they went like a little bit more subversive, and they had him yes. actually like. Trying to get Uhura and, and then kind of surprises it. you mm-hmm. that, that she's with Spock. Yeah. But I am not a fan at all of the Spock-Uhura relationship. No, I, I think it's
2: great. I'm, 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 a, I'm absolutely Brian. fine with it. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know what?
1: I, it, as I was watching it this time, I was like, well, of course, it also mirrors his father's relationship yeah. with,
2: a, with a human. Yeah, and Zachary Quinto comes in with probably just about one of the hardest acting jobs in the history of humanity. <laughs> he has to r- play... The new version of a dearly beloved character. The the most iconic Star Trek character. character Who is hyper-associated with Leonard Nimoy's unique, specific, brilliant performance. Right. And he's got to do it well Leonard Nimoy's yeah. in the freaking movie yeah, yes, to he yeah. compared the, to. the screen with him. Well, and then the, movie, on... the movie doesn't make it easy for him. They give him a whole range of stuff he has to do, and he has to feel like Leonard Nimoy in all of it, and, or at least reasonably and close. It, and it's a character who is not supposed to show emotion. <laughs> yes, and it's a character who's hard to play uh, even by itself, separate from if, everything else. If, and he nails it. Zachary Quinto's amazing. He's not Leonard Nimoy, but he's pretty freaking close. Yes. Yeah. It's hard to, in a way, he couldn't be Leonard Nimoy because Leonard Nimoy
1: had the opportunity to build a character from scratch and he's doing an imitation character. That sounds harsh, but, but he's kind of doing an imitation character. He's doing it so well, though, that he kind of managed to do that thing where he kind of makes it his own yes. for purposes of the Kelvin movies. Uh, while at the same time really feeling like he's honoring what came before. Yes. From the quirk of the eyebrow to allowing some of that humor to come out, you yeah. know, to the dry sarcasm. Uh, when he tells the guys "live long and prosper," and he's clearly saying "fuck you" to the yes. to the to the uh, Vulcan Council
2: or whatever. Yes. and I'm sure it helped having Leonard Nimoy there to oh, advise yeah. him. Yeah, and, and Quinto has said that. Yes, and Carl Urban does do amazing as McCoy. It's mm-hmm. just I, it, I honestly, oh, McCoy's a little easier to do. No offense to Carl Urban. It's just no, I agree. Yeah, he's growly. Yeah, even when I um, even when I was like thinking
1: Trek is dead. From this movie, there, there was no way I could deny how likable and fun the cast were, how well cast they were. Yeah. I don't think there's actually a single one of them I would change, maybe excepting Scotty. Kirk. Something didn't quite really? he felt like the least similar to me in some way. Yeah. So you, but like, I still, you like Pine as Kirk then. Yeah, I, I do, absolutely. Well,
2: because the point is he's not grown into the Kirk, so he it, sure. it's a plot. Well point that's the that arc of the, the movie. The yeah. yeah. But, the uh, whereas Scotty doesn't quite feel like the old Scotty. He's fun and lovable, and you like him, but he's not. He was probably a the bit farthest of a, off base. He was a little bit of a serious
1: guy on the show. He would like he could, you got the impression he could he could go and party down with with some drinks, but but he was actually kind of a serious dude. Yeah, yeah, but he could get really colorful sometimes. Yeah. He was and mischievous with the triples. They,
0: C- they 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 lean into that like more like uh, colorful and um what's the word I'm looking for. Uh, but like the the like the 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 high energy excited Scotty, you right? Know, when
1: he he's it's like they took the Scotty that was like that started the bar fight in trouble with tribbles and and beamed the tribbles over. Uh, maybe the Scotty that also was a murderer, <laughs> the wolf and the Bulls? wolf in the falls. <laughs> see Simon is uh, murderous. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, and, and here's the thing: he is fun in the role. Yeah, even the sort of uh, ridiculous addition of his sidekick. Keenzer. No, Keenzer.
2: I love Keenzer.
0: Keenzer, I sort of don't like. Me. We, me, and Dave established a while ago that he is the Jar Jar of of Star Trek, <laughs> oh. but but I like no. him better than Jar Jar. Keenser. Well, great. it's because Star Trek is better than Star Wars. <laughs> All right. Well, and, and also
2: they, use, Keenzer, A is funny, unlike Jar Jar, and B, they only use him in a couple of scenes, not yeah. a, so you don't get oh. sick of him, unlike Jar Jar. Yeah. So, but
0: you now this is where we have like the trans warp beaming. Which this is not what transwarp means, but I guess they've kind of like redefined transwarp before on the shows compared to Star Trek Three. But yeah, you know, so they uh, Scotty somehow in the future I guess develops a transwarp formula, presumably where
2: you can, taking apart Dominion transporters who they
0: had that technology. So you can you can now in the Kelvin movies you can beam from. From planet to somewhere else in another different solar system. If which you have which this they technology. use in the next movie. Yeah, if, yeah. if you have Scotty's
2: secret. Do they
1: do it in the next movie?
2: Yeah. Yes. Okay. And if they do not have a bunch of transwarp beaming going on in Picard, I for one will be disappointed. Yeah, me, of, me too. Old Spock promised me transwarp beaming at the end of the 24th <laughs> what if, century. What if Scotty only told Old Spock because he needed someone to like help him with the math? And, and Why would Scott, young Scotty's like beaming the Admiral's dog away? Why would old uh-huh. Scotty keep it a secret? Which, that's ridiculous that, uh, that dog from Enterprise would still be alive. I assume I mean, it's a different dog. Yeah, it can't still be poor. Sure, I'm sure Admiral Archer goes <laughs> through his...
1: 50th his... Also... beagle. Yeah, I'm sure. Don't like, yeah.
2: I don't like Archer still being alive or being an admiral. A, it doesn't have to be the same Archer, but B, why not? How old would how Archer? Because, would Arch, how... because in, in... McCoy lived 165 years. How old would Archer be at that point? In court?
0: Through a Mirror Darkly, it says that he died in 2345. Uh... All right, fair and that, enough. And that he had been president of the federation, which is so much more cooler than being an admiral.
2: Uh, All I mean, right, fair enough. I, I, I'll give you that one. Yeah, it's
0: actually really cool. It says that he died. They screwed that up. He, he died the day after Robert April launched on the seventeen oh one. It like he lived long enough to pass the baton. Is oh, this
2: something they said out loud? No, it's on. Of,
0: it's on the the computer uh, file.
2: It's still on screen, so it's canon. Yeah, yeah. but do you get a close up of it where you can actually read it? <laughs> You know what I'm going to say is that there was an Admiral Archer
1: that uh, his friends uh, kind of uh, talked about his, uh, at least the name similarity to the former president of the uh, Starfleet? Or the, the Federation. Federation. Oh, wow, well, that's big. Yeah. Uh, and they, they got him a beagle at some point as a joke, which became his beloved beagle, and there <laughs> we have
0: it. Scott, Scotty and Kurt get back on the Enterprise, and I think they totally should have cut this when Scotty is... Trapped in, like, that water pipe. We don't really need that, but... Yeah. No, this is where we have um, Hendorf, the the security guard, who... Cupcake. Yeah, you gotta remember, that bar fight was three years before this. Yeah. So when he's, like, running up that ramp and across that catwalk to, like, arrest Kirk at (laughs) Phaser Point, you had to be
2: thinking, like, I still remember three years ago when you called me Cupcake. I assume that they were at the... the, Academy together he kept calling him cupcake continuously for yeah. 3 years. Well, I I <laughs> I, can totally I kind of assume
0: that. that too but my way of describing it was funnier. <laughs> we get Scotty and Kirk in custody and then we have the big confrontation between Kirk and Spock which is very much a faithful callback to is it the episode This Side of Paradise mm-hmm. with the where Spock gets high on the spores and falls in love mm-hmm. and Kirk has to like piss him off to get it out of the system. Yeah, and he starts like uh, taunting him, talking about his his, uh, his his heritage as a half Vulcan, half human, yeah. and
1: poking poking all his most emotionally vulnerable points. What, what I love
0: is that this movie, unlike a bunch of Star Trek, keeps in mind that Vulcans are a lot stronger than yes. humans, oh, yeah. and so we have Spock just smacking Kirk around, even though. It is weird that the hero of the movie gets slapped around so much. It always yeah. makes sense when it's yeah.
2: happening, though. You, know? you do see, also, with the kid Vulcans fighting. They are not just kids punching yeah. each other. They're, like, serious strength behind those blows. Mm. It's like some kid superheroes fighting. <laughs> I love the Vulcan bullies. I love, uh, we've prepared new in-
0: or, have you prepared new insults for me today? Affirmative. Like, yeah. that's how Vulcan kids <laughs> yeah. would bully each yes. other. Yes,
1: yeah, yes. But- And he's like, this is your 37th attempt to elicit emotion." So, yes. I'm like, it's, it's very much a, almost like a mathematical formula. <laughs> that yeah. um, I think. By the way, the movie does really good job with those emotionally intense scenes, like where he breaks Spock down and Spock whoops up on him, and then Spock has to realize that he is emotionally compromised. I think those are some of their more their their stronger scenes, and then they make it kind of an event when Kirk takes the captain's chair, mm-hmm. um, even he though still he was, doesn't get the gold until the very right. end of the movie. And
0: even though he was actually sitting in it earlier, yeah. um, when Spock tells him get out of the yeah. chair, but um, I, and it's understandable here that uh, Uhura and McCoy, the two people who have known Kirk the longest, yeah. uh, we we can assume um, they're both very skeptical. <laughs>
2: <laughs> this yeah. part where there's
0: like I hope you know what you're doing
2: they're kind of like mad at him well, I, yeah. I think Uhura is very skeptical I think McCoy's like alright we'll <laughs> see where this goes I but, like him but uh, <laughs> yeah. does describe him as the prize <laughs> stallion so McCoy clearly respects yeah he's got some faith in him yeah.
0: not as much as Prime Spock seems to have yeah. and I, I do love the idea of Spock being like this is my best friend Kirk the The way to, to solve this crisis and stop Nero is to put him in the captain's chair in the Enterprise that always works And I I like that idea of of, of Nimoy Spock remembering all the cool shit that Shatner Kirk did. And he has that faith into Chris Pine Kirk,
2: if that makes sense, if you follow that. And Nimoy's superb in this. Yes. I mean, he's every... I mean, it's just. Just, Was there there some
1: possibility, Father, that like Shatner was going to have been in the movie?
0: There was some flirtation with that that they would have Spock actually brings like a holographic recording
1: of Kirk from before he died, uh, but they thought that seemed. I'm so glad Spock got to carry the load. That is, Nimoy got to be the grounding force. and,
0: And part of what made this movie so acceptable was Nimoy's presence gave it so much validation. And it was cool at the time to have, like, okay, Leonard Nimoy is Spock. He was there at the very beginning in the cage.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: The
0: only one who... The only character that they kept onto the original series. And then he was in uh, so many movies. And then he even showed up in Berman Trek in The right. Next Generation. And it's like, mm-hmm. we have, like, this one guy who's, like, carried the torch all the way through from from The Cage until this new Star Trek 09 movie. Mm-hmm. And, and to me, it just... It, it made it more acceptable to me to have have that in there.
1: Yeah,
0: but um, but yeah, we have uh, Kirk in command. The big climax of the movie, they go after Nero because, of course, this being a Star Trek movie, Earth has to be in danger, <laughs> and he's trying to blow up. Or I like that he targets San Francisco Bay just because, like, it's like a big fuck you to Starfleet. Yeah, yeah. but um, he. But and then it's, he's arguably pretty good at
2: revenge.
1: Yeah. Well, that's his only
2: only thing. He, they give him had little twenty food. years to come up with a plan. He, had, he, he probably not going one
1: plan it out like that. So yeah,
2: uh, they uh, don't they actually say they're going to go and destroy the rest of the worlds in the Federation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're, they're so just...
1: he wants to just uh, uh, because anything that would there was a uh, obstacle to the Romulans, he was going to yeah. Knock
0: you would think after the Federation, probably go after the Klingons and the Cardassians and just uh, yeah everyone. Um, what a dick. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it would be like for real. That'd be like the greatest mass murderer in like start the Star Trek universe if he He's pulled off have his a, plan.
1: So some very devoted miners in his crew. Like but no one's like we're gonna them. we're gonna no hang out for twenty five years and then I'm gonna get my revenge. And they're like, okay, well somebody bring a deck of cards. And, and then...
0: it's weird that there's no checks on the ship. It's just like a bunch uh, of yeah. a bunch of dudes hanging. Around. I mean, isn't there
2: one? I thought there was one. There was
0: one. one in deleted scenes that they cut out. Oh, uh, okay. And they yeah. actually had like a badass martial artist chick to play her because she's yeah. gonna do some action stuff oh yeah the, they the cut se- that out
2: the sequence zachary quinto spent forever training for and then they cut it oh man he spent all this do time ha- training that, for a fight does the scene still exist no I, I don't even never think they it. shot it i don't um, know, I think they right shot it right before
1: the end stuff i do want to say that the phaser battle on the narada uh, is pretty cool even though i like my beam sort of weapon phasers or a little yes. more beam like and well, not bolty nick meyer yes. gave
0: us the the bolt so blame him uh, in the Wrath of Khan, yeah. uh, but they
2: still you the, still the saw the pistols had beams. You still, oh yeah, saw the, beams. yeah the, the, the
0: the handheld phasers
2: yeah. or the ship phasers. Yeah, one? I think. Yeah. Are you talking about the ship, the hand, the, the personal combat or the ship to ship combat?
1: Personal combat, yeah. but but also like I, I think that like you still see beam arcs and not like bolts. Um uh, That where this movie kind of went full energy bolts. Yeah. But I bring this up to, to compliment it. I, it's a it's a good scene. You, there's there's a lot of clatter and noise as their guns chip away like chunks of metal and like burn through things. And you so so it's like you feel like these phasers are kind of more dangerous it's than the, phasers the, have been in a little while. The
0: hand phasers, I think, it is like too showy and weird when they have like the parts part. spin around to go from kill to stun. But I do like yeah. that you have like blue for stun, red for kill, which Discovery borrowed. Yeah. We see that in Discovery also, but they don't do like the flippy thing. So Discovery fixed yeah. <laughs> it. We, we got to talk about the interior of the Nerada, though, because it is it is ridiculous. Where they have like these giant Chains and, and
1: pools and, and like just in, it seems like infinite like um, little uh, like balconies and decks yeah. and things. And uh, and, I and assume bridges. it makes
2: more sense when they're mining, I guess. Yeah, right, if, if we you
1: put... turn the lights on, what you would actually see is there's just all this equipment and stuff in between those. Yeah. And... yeah.
0: They had never shown Romulans to be as strong as Vulcans. I always thought it would be cool. Of like, what if what if the Romulans didn't have, like, that Vulcan strength? And that would kind of explain, like, their, um... Like, you know, they just gotta, gotta like, try harder. But here, uh, because this, they wanted this to be, like, a big, fun action movie with menacing villains, they make these Romulans strong enough to beat the shit out of Kirk. <laughs> yep. And... Uh, yeah,
1: Eric Bana's is good at doing that.
0: They it hit the emotional notes when he's taunting him about, like, uh, oh, yeah, James T. Kirk was a great man, but I, I will deprive you of that future. Just like, I deprived your father of his life. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah, there's there's lots of lots of good beats like that in there. Um, well, what about the the Spock on the jellyfish?
0: What do you think of that ship? It was designed by Brian Hitch, of all people, very, uh, is it
1: fair to call him a prolific comic book artist? He's... he's yeah, done quite a bit of stuff. I, I always forget that he designed
2: the uh, ship. I don't really like the ship. Yeah, well, I, I like. <laughs> I, I hate that it's called the jellyfish. I don't mind that as a behind-the-scenes production name, but the fact that it's officially canon that it's the jellyfish. Yeah, the, the e- I, think... I can only assume that in its original Vulcan, it's much more poetic. <laughs> the uh, I think I think the eagle moss
0: model, which which I own, I think it's yeah. like officially called like Spock's jellyfish. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that sounds even worse. I'm sorry, um, jellyfish. I'm sure jellyfish in Vulcan is beautiful, and it has all sorts of symbolic meaning. That right. that earth the earth word jellyfish doesn't carry, <laughs> but um, they should have left it in its original. Get in Vulcan. the
1: boing dongler. Yeah,
2: yeah. The, the, uh,
1: <laughs> but I love
0: I love that that action sequence where it turns into like a car chase where where Spock is flying around the jellyfish and Nero is just, like screaming Spock and it, it does kind of echo
2: Kirk screaming Kong except it's flipped where it's like the bad guy screaming the name of one of the yeah. good guys. And, and I love how Spock leads him away from Earth. Yes. Out to where the Enterprise is parked near Saturn so that the Enterprise can sucker punch them. And, and you get <laughs> Sulu has like that cool moment
0: where he like comes in and commanded the Enterprise shooting the phasers. Yeah. 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 And, and and then you have, Scotty has something to do with, he, he beams everyone back, they get Pike back, yeah. and uh, the, then the, the red matter explosion, where all that red matter is like bubbling and then like shrinks down, disappears... And then you have, like, that explosion of the black hole forming. Yeah. That was, like, so cool and spectacular and, and really, like, sells the climax of the movie. Yeah. Now,
1: we do have... It's hard to make ship explosions kind of cool again, and <laughs> well, I we've think... We've seen it so
0: often. Yeah, yeah, yeah J.J.
1: Sure. Abrams found it, like, he, he filmed them and literally just filmed them in such a way that it kind of re-energized yeah. Yeah.
0: it. Well, uh, but th- this is a, a little problematic, especially for Dave, with the, uh, the execution of Nero.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see... Um... Uh, Kirk offers offers him a helping hand Nero says I'd rather die and Kirk very I, I would say enthusiastically is like you got it and then he's like give him everything give him both I mean, barrels this
0: this guy was just uh, a few minutes before yeah. this he was just saying like I'm gonna kill you like I killed
2: your dad
1: bitch it's, he also it's, had
2: killed six billion Vulcans. I know it's the way yeah. it's,
1: the, it's that it doesn't feel like I Kirk mean, and Starfleet to me if he had said even if he was like kind of trying a little bit till the last minute or something like saying like like trying to appeal to the crew said like you know you don't this doesn't have to end this way or well, something like well, that well as they, <laughs> the writers
2: have mentioned and again <laughs> we shouldn't need the writers to explain these things but they but at least they did yes um Kirk was really worried that they that whatever went into that black hole could pop up in the future or the past and screw up history again. So sitting around having a long conversation will uh, Nero and his Romulans if get dumped into the past. If that had been in, the, in the movie,
1: if that had been in the movie, I would have been down with it. Or oh, yeah. if Kirk had expressed some concern, it's like if he had said to like Spock, it's like he's like, "There's no time to, to do this." You know, like Sulu hit him or whatever, yeah. uh, or check out fire. Um, but he kind of, it's just a little too gleeful for I, me. I don't, it I don't feels anti-Star Trek. It. I don't have a
0: problem with it. And to me,
1: it would have, it would have felt,
0: it, it would have felt like you were doing the movie a misservice if you did have Kurt try to have like, a, try to put in that much effort into saving this guy's life who
1: had just murdered billions. Who's like any, any uh, war if crime. If they were going to have suffered, him extend the offer to do it. He did. Uh, if they were going like, to do that, though,
0: I think his obligation is 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 done at that point. Yeah. He tried. Maybe. I think this is handled immensely better than I'm gonna take. I'm gonna take a time to uh, to punch down at Star Trek Insurrection. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> what when when they just don't even try to save uh, F Murray Abraham? They just beam Picard up and let F Murray Abraham blow up on
1: the thing. Yeah, <laughs> I think it works. I think that worked better for me. No, uh, I think it's nope. I would have rather had. I don't like, mind villains getting their just desserts, except um, it, except that it's Nero. Except <laughs> if the heroes think it's neat and it's like in if Kirk almost could have said like in your fucking face and and like and I don't want that that vibe coming off
2: of my. my I didn't quite get rage. that much. and yeah. <laughs> gleeful. I, I I didn't get it. You got that. it. I <laughs> you watched the movie. It wasn't. It didn't feel as gleeful to me. Yeah,
0: that's not if, if that certainly certainly an appropriate unhappy. time
2: to say "fuck you" to somebody yeah. when, like, the guy who's like, "I just
0: killed your dad, and sure. I just killed this planet, and no, I don't want you to save so, me." If, if it's not appropriate to say appara- "fuck
2: you" to that person, and then apparently, you're like, according good. to this old Spock guy, <laughs> I ruined your whole life by killing your dad. Yeah. <laughs> so you would have been something yeah. so much better than you are now if I hadn't killed your dad. That <laughs> cool <laughs> escape of like the Enterprise from the black hole and. Yep. Scottie's the way saying, the, when
1: it's hanging right in that like, sort of mid-range mm-hmm. point between being pulled in and not is yeah. a really cool visual. I,
2: I did think it was odd that they said, eject the warp core, and it's singular, not, yeah, and it's not we a get core. multiple pods. Things,
0: so. Maybe the core like broke down into a bunch of pods and then yeah, gets ejected. I, I mean, it's not but a huge deal. When the like, bridge God. starts like cracking. Yeah. and, and like, it, it really doesn't make sense when they just established earlier in this movie, which I think is kind of dumb, that in warp drive space is the thing that's moving. And somehow, like, Scotty never thought of that until Spock showed him the transwarp. They they said it when they were talking about transwarp drive. Where else did they say that? Well, nowhere else. But here, it's weird that... Okay, so when you're at warp, like, space is a thing that's moving. But, like, you're at warp and you're not going anywhere because, like, this black hole is holding you... I don't know. That just... Uh, I felt like when together, Scotty but... said
1: that he when he said it never occurred to me to think of space as the thing that was moving, it was literally just a throwaway line from them, their version of techno babble, but, but with no thought put into yeah, it. Yeah, I'm saying I'm saying they don't <laughs> put a
0: lot of thought into the, the yeah, techno babbly stuff true. in these yeah. movies. It's true. Um I do love that we get like a Good fan service. It like fits in, even though it's so cheap to have Scotty say, "I'm giving her all she's got, Captain." But <laughs> sure, they they throw those I nods think It in. was earned in that instance. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, You know, earlier in the movie, we get a uh, "Damn it, man! I'm a doctor, not a physicist." Sure. And, yeah. Um, we the live long I think and prosper. When I didn't,
1: when I wasn't feeling inclined to be nice to the movie, uh, those things bugged me. Uh, but but honestly, it's it's reasonable fan service for kind of reinvigorating the franchise. And again. I kind of liked that people who were otherwise not big Trek fans, but who maybe knew some of that stuff, kind of got to feel those moments. They got to feel like they were part of the club, and Trek should be inclusive. It is so triumphant when we
0: see the Enterprise, and it's just like this tiny dot coming out of that giant blue explosion, and then it just soars, and so does the music soars, and it just it just feels so victorious, Mm -hmm. and... We get the ending where we have another little fan service bit, and that is Pike in a wheelchair. Yep. And I thought that was kind of, it was almost a little subtle how they put it, like a very, like, um, not like the guy in a box with his head sticking out. Right. Yeah. And then um, Spock uh, watching, like, the, the Kirk promotion from that balcony, and he just says... You know, thrusters on
2: floor. I It I felt like very like Nicholas Meyer nautical thing. I, mm-hmm. I, the only way I can make sense of Kirk going from third year cadet, not fourth okay. year cadet, third year cadet to captain in the space of a few months is that old Spock went into the talk to the Starfleet and said, "Listen, I know some things about the future." And that guy needs to be on that starship, and if you want to know what I want to know, you're going to make it happen. (laughs) So Spock just full-on violates the prime director, the temporal prime director. I think he's balancing things for whatever Nero screwed up, just Um, like the private little war where we give our side exactly the same advance. (laughs) Sure, sure.
0: Yeah, I I can buy that. I mean, that, that was my biggest problem with this movie was always going from a cadet to a captain in a day. But it is kind of forgivable in the fact that you want the next movie to already have the captains, even though in the next movie they undo that yeah. and give them the same arc again, which is yeah. a weird choice. But yeah. we'll get to that next week. Um I thought it was weird in the bar scene when Pike says you can be an officer in four years and get your own ship in eight. And I think they put that in there to make the ending feel less weird. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean like... But it was three, not eight. (laughs) Yeah. As I was saying, uh, four years, I'll do it in three. You should have said eight years, I'll do it in three. Yeah.
2: (laughs) I guess so. Yeah, to me,
1: I mean, like, I I can't help but think that it's just... A weak plot
2: point of theirs. I, well, <laughs> it probably no, no, was, yeah. Not, but not I mind, am going but. to give them. I, I, I love the movie enough that I will go the extra mile sure. with my. Yeah, uh, the, the,
1: the way, as you describe it, it kind of fits in nicely there. Yeah, there's there's a outro voiceover from Nimoy, which also kind of brings it all brings it all home again. Uh, they close with a rendition of the uh, the original the Star Alexander Trek. Courage theme theme yes. music. Yeah. Uh, it's and it's a pretty classy way to do it. Yeah,
2: mm. the biggest thing I ha- problem I have, mm-hmm. I, I um, is that it's a good movie, but I'm not sure if it's a Star Trek movie <laughs> because it, it focuses entirely on emotions and there's no Star Trek has pretty much always been about something, and every other Star Trek movie before or after this has yeah. been about something. Well, um,
1: there there there's you know I'm I'm just saying this on the fly. I don't have any like necessarily coherent thought, but. Nero's Nero's like loss uh, propels him to to do to become like kind of unspeakably vengeful. Kirk's loss uh, almost brings him down,
2: but with given the right circumstances, catapults him into greatness. Nero is the anti-Spock. Spock loses his planet, loses his family, mm. and Nero does too. And we see how these two Vulcanoids deal with it differently, and how Spock almost. Could, could become another Nero and does not. And I can just about see that. The problem is a lot of that Nero well, backstory isn't as well developed in the movie as it is in the expanded universe. So right. I kind of hate to give it that one, it, it but it's kind
0: of there. This isn't Spock's movie. It's Kirk's movie. Well, so that, if, that, that, if, that's another flaw. If they made, if they Spock made is Nero, pretty front and center, though. I, I know, but like the, the, the movie opens with Kirk's birth and it ends with his ascent to the captaincy. To yeah. <laughs> um, the the idea of if Nero was the anti-Kirk, that would probably work more. About if it's about like like using the past. Uh, but Was Kirk to, ever like, tempted you? to become and, this raged right. monster? Yeah, they, they, don't, they don't really build that into it. it. Well, it's more yeah. like
1: Kirk would have been derailed from the the person we know. Yeah. Like may, like he came kind of precariously close to it. Yeah. i will say that it
0: almost has the message that that dave has suggested and i think that's like a good point but i'll say that it doesn't quite encapsulate there's, that. there's no doubt mm.
1: about me that in my mind that they didn't have a very coherent thing yeah. that there was you know in many ways a collection of very yeah. watchable scenes about getting our family together yeah. uh, of, of crew members that we like and i did yeah. like that you know they immediately began with all those crew members, you know, her and out and all those guys at the forefront. It's like a meta
0: thing. It's like, look yeah. at all these familiar things you're at least aware of on a pop cultural level. And don't you want to see them all
1: get together? And... Which is
2: why we come back to the time force is yeah. the message of the film.
1: I'd be interested to hear anybody else's thoughts on yeah. that specifically, yeah. too. like. Do you think you, do you think there, there is one? Do you think you can finesse one out of it with a little work? Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's all we have on
0: Star Trek 09, but I know that there's so many opinions out there on this movie, so by all means, let us know. Um, tell us if, if you love it, if you hate it, if you're mixed, and if, you, what you think about some of the things we brought up. Did we bring anything new to your attention, or do you think you have something to, to
1: add to our conversation? You know, we didn't talk too much about it, but certainly it did lead a lot of people in. And you'd you'd mentioned talking to a lot of people who came into it. And I'd be curious to hear if there was any any other experiences with that, like where it fits in people's personal pantheon. I
0: would wager that some of our audience might have... Come had, that. Had this as their Star Trek gateway
1: drug. Quite possibly. So if
0: that's the case, for sure, let us know. It's like
1: starting with crack. And uh, let us let us <laughs> know...
2: If... Speed. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, this is, this is the speed <laughs> of, of Star Trek.
0: Yeah. Um, if, if you have anything to say about Star Trek in the Darkness or Star Trek Beyond, we will be talking about those soon. So uh, let us know ahead of time if you have any thoughts on that. And maybe it's something that we can use when we get to those discussions. Of course, that'll be um, next week on Sunday, Star Trek in the Darkness. And until then, as always... Live long and prosper, y'all. Thank all of you so much for checking out this installment of Text Trek. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Please be sure to like our YouTube videos and subscribe to our channel. Uh, Audio-only versions of episodes are available at our website, www.text-trek.com. Please check out our site, especially if you just want an audio-only podcast. Uh, We have that available for you. Y'all can also keep up with us online. You can follow us on Twitter, at Trek, or you can uh, check us out on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash text trek Uh, Please, by all means, let us know what you think by dropping a comment anywhere you see fit. Uh, We definitely want to hear your feedback. Let us know what you liked and what you would like to see more of what you would like to see differently going forward. If you want to email me directly, uh, go ahead. I can be reached at fatheryactual
1: at text-trek.com. Thank all y'all again. Take care.